Sunday is it a joy to sing songs together and hear from the Word of God, but we know that we're here making it a purpose in our lives and in our families to be in the house of God on a night like tonight to celebrate the hope and the joy that we have found in Jesus. So bless our evening here. Go before us now as we look to your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that Christmas is towards the end of the year. Many of us have had trying years, and in our family alone, we have seen so many people close to us, friends and family who have passed away due to COVID or who died too young or like one of God's generals, Pastor Phil, to, to say goodbye on, on this side. And we've seen a trying year, but at the end of every year, whether it was a great year, a bad year, a tough year, we can celebrate the end of the year with the hope that we find in Jesus. I remember at the beginning of this year, it started off uh, pretty rocky. We, we not only were coming out of another year of uh, COVID, but now we had that snowstorm. And I don't know how many were affected and how many of y'all's uh, pipe bursted and how many of you went without uh, uh, electricity. And let me tell you, our house, we, we were in a very large house, almost 3,000 square feet. It was all hardwood, really old hardwood. And our house got down to 37 degrees on the inside. We were freezing, quite literally. In three days, we got maybe about an hour worth of electricity a day. That was it. So you knew the mad dash. Once the power went on, you try to get it as warm as possible. You ran to the microwave. You try to make something. Because the sad thing was that in my house, every single appliance was electric. So I had my fireplace, and I had my tiny little Weber charcoal grill. That's all we had to survive the snowpocalypse known as Alaska. <laughs> and so we survived. Uh, the family huddled all of our, our couches together by the fireplace. And praise God that Nikki and I were preppers. We're ready for the zombies. You know, we, we had the dehydrated food. We had the gallons of water. We're not yet at a generator. We're going to get there. But we, we have uh, food that will last us weeks and weeks and weeks. And I knew that the snow was coming. And so I knew that the snow was coming. I went to my Kroger and I got boxes and boxes. I mean, the last ones that were on the shelf of those four hour fire logs. And I had tons of firewood in the back and I was ready to go. And I was so thankful because if we did not have that fire, it would have been so uncomfortable. One of the families in our church at that time, uh, they were not prepared. And they didn't have a four-wheel drive, and they were stuck in their condo. And they got to the point where they were actually cutting their furniture in order to provide firewood to stay warm during that time. It's incredible. But that, that fire, that warmth was a lifesaver. And fire isn't always destructive. Fire in the Bible is purifying. Fire in the Bible could be a very good thing. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who did not become consumed by the fire, but walk with Jesus in the fire. Fire in the fireplace, great thing. Fire outside of the fireplace, not a good thing. But when it's controlled and when it's of, of the Spirit, it's a great and a powerful thing. Light is incredible. And Jesus is what he calls himself in the Gospel of John, the light of the world. He is the light of the world. He is the hope that we have been given. And even at the early part of his life, the wise men were brought to who would be called the light of the world by one of the brightest things they've ever seen in the sky, the Bethlehem star, this huge, bright, burning thing that, that led them across the country that would lead them to Jesus. And you don't have to turn there, and it won't be up on the uh, projector screens here. Uh, but I want to read the famous story that we have read many times in Matthew chapter 2. If you do have a Bible, you can follow along with me. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And this is a great story that we all know very well, but I want to highlight one very fascinating thing that kind of grabbed my heart a few months ago. 
I know who, who studies the Christmas uh, story in the summer, but I did for some reason. And the Lord spoke a word to me. So beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, the Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. It's funny that the governments of the world tremble at the name of Jesus because they fear the power that comes. They fear the unity that can be amongst the people. In verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this was what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. And we know that was a lie. Verse 9, After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which had been seen in the east went on before them until they came and stood over the place where the child was. And much like the pillar of fire and smoke in the wilderness, isn't it amazing how the manifest presence, the light of God, is always just a few steps ahead of us? As long as we can keep our focus and keep our heart's affection to the one who has come to redeem us, we will find our way. And so the star was with them the entire way and led them to where the child was. In verse 10, just two more verses here. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now this is where the Spirit kind of smacked me in the face when I read this a few months ago. And what caught me off guard was that they, they rejoice with exceedingly great joy, not because they found Jesus. They celebrated and had joy that overwhelmed them simply because they saw the star. Just the direction of the hope was enough to make them overwhelmed in joy. I mean, I don't need to see the miracle. I don't need to see the breakthrough. I don't need to see the fruit or the blessing if I have his manifest presence, if I just have the assurance that he is there with me, that's all I need so that I can have joy in my days. I can have hope. I can have a strength that will carry me through for when the Lord actually does reveal that miracle. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And on Sunday, I'm really going to unpack these. In verse 12, the final verse here, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country to another way. So here we have these Magi, these wise men who came to, to Jesus and wanted to worship him, and they, they brought him gifts so Jesus could really be set forth in ministry. I mean, can you imagine gifts of gold, expensive perfume, burial spices that really helped Jesus and his earthly family to prepare the way for his coming ministry? but they were guided by the light. And light is used so many times in the Bible, not just as direction, not just as hope, but as a symbol of life. Whether that was the candlestick that was in the um, temple, or if that was, you know, just uh, the fire that they would see from the manifest presence, it was a symbol of life, but it was also a symbol of the life giver. All the way in the beginning of uh, the Bible, in the creation, we see in Genesis. In Genesis, 
God saw this earth that was formless and void and the spirit of God hovered over it. And do you guys remember the first things that God uttered in creation? What was it? Let there be light. But you know what's so interesting is that light was spoken by God in that first day, but the sun wasn't created until day four. So what was this light? If it wasn't the sun, this burning ball of gas that, you know, gives us our hope of we're going to live another day. But then we see in, in the Mount of Transfiguration that Jesus, when he transfigured, that light was emanating from him. This light from within, the light of God. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And in the Gospel of John, we see the seven I am statements that Jesus uttered. Statements of talking that I am God eternal. But when you look back at the Old Testament, you see the tabernacle, even the temple, and all the articles that were in there, the stages that you would go from the outer courts into the Holy of Holies. We see that Jesus said, I am the light of the world, the candlestick. I am the bread of life, the showbread. I am the door. And we see the veil. Jesus showed how there was a contrast between him and the temple, which many scholars believe is even a blueprint of what heaven is. But then Jesus flips the script on us. Jesus comes and he says, I am the light of the world, and I am, and I am, and all these marvelous statements. But then in the mount where he's preaching the Beatitudes, he, he says, guess what? You are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be unseen. And if you have a lampstand, you don't put a bowl over it and conceal it. Jesus gave us the, the challenge that not only is he the light of the world and our hope and the one who's come to save us all, but he says, you are in me and I am you and you are hidden in Christ. And guess what? You too are the light of the world. I read a story the other day in my preparation of a, a man who was in a, another country and it was a really old little village. And the streets were really, really narrow. There were no sidewalks. And the, the houses were really stacked upon each other. So there wasn't a whole lot of light. And as this man was walking through the streets, he noticed a little boy. And this little boy had a, a decent-sized mirror. And he was getting a little bit of a sunbeam in between the cracks of the houses and kind of, you know, shining it off. Now, when you see a little boy playing with the sun, it's not always a good thing. They're burning legs off of ants or they're getting into some type of trouble. So this man walks over to the boy and he says, hey, what, what are you doing? And he goes, well, you see that window way over there? He goes, yeah, that's my brother's room. And my brother had an accident and my brother can't get out of his bed. And so he can never really get the sunlight because he's always in the shadow of these buildings. So every day at this time, there's a little beam that comes in. And I make sure to shine that light into his room so that he can have some type of a light during his day. And I just thought, family, isn't that what we're called to do? That we are but a reflection of the Father. We, we are a representation of Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. And there are people who are hurting, people who are dying all around us. People who have not found out of this hope that we have found in Jesus, the one who was born, Messiah, Savior of the world. And we get to partner with him and be a reflection of this light. Jesus called us out of darkness into the light, but he's also called us to be light into the darkness. Matthew 5, 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they can see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The world needs to know that there's a God in heaven that loves them and is good and wants to wrap his arms around them. And it's so funny that God likes to use people to carry out his mission on earth. He's in the business of using people like you and I. It doesn't matter. It does not matter our faults. As long as we have a saving grace, he wants to use us.
you know, Jesus, when he was a baby and, and first born, it wasn't the wise men who saw him first. It was the shepherds. And the shepherds were the lowest of the low in society at that time. Believe me, if Jesus would reveal himself to the lowest of society and they get to be the first ones to tell the message of the newborn king, how much more does he want to use us? Now, here's a really horrible joke. So forgive me in advance, okay? Really bad. But Jesus, when he was first resurrected, revealed himself to women first, right? And the reason he did that is because if you want to get a whole lot of information out really fast, you tell it to some ladies and they'll make it happen, right? <laughs> but he'll use anyone who will come to his embrace and to salvation. And he wants to use them to be a light in this dark world. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we experience. We have the hope of the gospel. We have his manifest presence with us anywhere and anytime. You know, I'm grateful for how well this church really decorates and goes all out for Christmas and the lights are all around. When I was a kid, Christmas time meant a lot to me. I have 16 aunts and uncles on one side, six aunts on another side, about a million first cousins in, in the mix of all of that. And Christmas was special before all the family drama happened. We got together. We didn't have a whole lot. None of us were rich, but we had each other. And I remember in our living room, we had it all decked out to the best we could. I called my mom's tree her ghetto tree because nothing matched. Nothing went together. There was no theme. She got all hand-me-downs, and, and it was sentimental to her. Nothing made sense on her tree. But there was one strand of lights, and on the strand of lights, there was a plastic Santa. And on that plastic Santa, if you pushed his belt buckle, he would start to sing. And it would be Christmas. I can hear it still now at 37 years old. I can still hear those songs. And I remember as a little boy, uh, we grew up pretty poor. And we didn't always have the best of the best and toys and, and other things. In fact, my dad was a, uh, and still is, a, a, uh, a trash man. And many times we got stuff that he would, you know, find in Orange County, California on the sidewalk. It's like, it's not too bad a condition. Here's your new bike. Here's your new scooter. You know, it's the conditions that we grew up in. So I don't know if it was a combination of that and my parents who really instilled a respect in my heart at a young age, but Christmas wasn't all about the presents for me. Me and my sister weren't the type that woke my parents up at 5 a.m. and rushed and tore apart the, the gifts. We, we took our time and we enjoyed in every aspect of it, so much so that as a little boy, I can remember being in my living room in a darker room than this with all the Christmas lights on by myself, just a little weirdo out there in the living room by himself, no TV, no electronics, no games, no nothing. And I would sit on the couch. My wife's laughing at me because she's like, he still does that. He still does that. <laughs> he loves his silence. Yes, I do. Silence is not a bad thing. Even when you pray, if you spend a half an hour in silence, it's still prayer because he's speaking to you. He's feeling you. So I love silence. But anyway, as a little kid, I'm sitting in my living room with all the lights on and I would go over and I would tap Santa. And I would sit there for who knows how long and just enjoy this special time of the year. A time when I see all my family, a time when we get some good food. I don't care how poor you are, you're going to get some good food at Christmas time. And we do get some presents and everybody seems to be happier. And I just love that time of the year. And how much more us who have been saved by Jesus, that we have been welcomed, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace at any time to be in his manifest presence. If there's anything I leave with you, if there's any challenge that I give to you from seeing the light of the world, is to enjoy in the light of the world. It's to rest in this time. 
we're going to be cooking. I got a prime rib marinating right now. I can't wait to throw in my sous vide tomorrow. We got preparations. We're going to travel. But let me encourage you, as you're cooking that ham or that prime rib, as you're traveling on the road to go visit family, pause. I dare you to do five-minute vacations all throughout the next couple days. I dare you to take Holy Spirit moments to just pause and turn your affections back to God and let him speak to you for a moment. Give God a minute of your time. Watch what he'll do. But Christmas is, is a time of family. It's a time of gifts. It's a time of celebration. But it's a time when God came to us. It's a time when God became more real. It's a time, Emmanuel, God with us. And we have the incredible blessing of being called children of God who have access to the one who holds the universe in his hands. We are blessed. We are absolutely blessed. Well, I'm going to call our worship team from their quick uh, little pit stop and break that they had. And I just want to end this night again. The communion's in the back if you want to take time to self-serve. And we're just going to take time for some Christmas songs to really just celebrate. And I encourage you, let right now, right here, the next 10, 15 minutes that we have, let this be your first five-minute vacation of this weekend. Let this be your first divine pause. Let this be your first reflection of looking at all the great things God has done over the years and all the great things he has promised to continue to do. Amen? Amen. And I know some of us need to get going right away. Some of us will linger. And however the Lord leads you, feel free to do so tonight. But as we were wrapping up and, and singing, I kept hearing the word uh, face, the face of God, the face of God. And so this is not uh, traditionally Christmas time, but Numbers chapter 6 and Aaron's benediction. I just want to bless you and just declare this over us here tonight. Because the word face in the Hebrew oftentimes is translated to presence of God. So like Adam, when he was created, God breathed into him the breath of life, and he opened his eyes. And if God breathed into him, that means he was face to face with the Father. So here's what it says in number 6, verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace so that you shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and I will bless them. So Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you that we had the blessing of being in this country, the blessing of being in this church, the blessing of being alive here and now, the blessing to know you personally, Emmanuel, God with us, face to face in your presence. As we go about in this weekend, Fill with festivities and family and all the different things that we will do, the rest that we will have, maybe the days off from work that we will enjoy. May your presence be what goes before us. Bless my friends here today, God. Fill them up with your joy. Fill them with your peace. Lord, thank you that the anointing of the Lord is upon them. Protect them and guide them. Most importantly, let your light lead us, but let it be a reflection on our lives that we too can be the light of this world. Go before us now. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas and God bless you, family. Feel free to linger or take off if you need to.